Well, it's so good to be here. Thanks for coming. If you're new with us today, I just want to say welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. It's going to be a great day. Well, it's already a great day, but it's going to be a great day in God's house. I was so encouraged by the time of worship. I just felt like we were led into the presence of God. So thank you, worship team, for that just amazing time of worship. And this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark for one more week, and then we'll take a break until 2022. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, and this is part 15, if you can believe it. I've never done a series over eight weeks. Now we're on part 15, so this is a good time. I think we'll be done at the end of 22. That's, that's my goal, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, so last week we read verses 20 through 35, and we saw that there are two kingdoms in the world. There are, or there's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You can't be in both. You have to choose one or the other. And the kingdom of darkness is ruled by Satan, who's also known as the accuser or the slanderer. And he is uh, referred to as the ruler of this world. He's strong. He's powerful. He's an influential, or he's the most influential creature on earth. And then the kingdom of light is ruled by Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus is stronger than the Satan. And he is powerful enough to free us from Satan's house. But we have to be willing to be freed from Satan's house. So, yeah, we saw that if we want to be a part of the kingdom of light, we have to uh, submit to Jesus' lordship. And specifically, it says this in verse 35. It says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and, and mother. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you do the will of God, then you're in my family. So to be in God's kingdom, we don't have to do anything to earn his grace, but we have to respond to it by truly giving him leadership of our lives. That's what we talked about last week, and now we're going to go right into chapter 4 and verse 1. And the reason why I share this before we jump into chapter 4 is this, the part we just read is so important to understand this part, okay? So kind of keep that in mind. Keep verse 34 and 35 in mind. So it says this in verse 1. It says, and he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So we see this recurring theme throughout Mark that large crowds like to be around Jesus. Uh, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen. Okay, so he's saying, pay attention. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the, thorn, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. It's easy to miss this, but this is miraculous. This kind of harvest is, is nothing short of miraculous. And then it says in verse 9, And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here again, he's telling them to pay attention. And then there's... And then in verse 10, there's a scene change, okay? So this is kind of changing scenes here. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6 there. And it says in verse 13, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear Satan, again, we're, we're talking about Satan again, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately, they receive it with joy, 
and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Okay, the sermon title this morning is Kingdom Seed. Kingdom Seed, if you're taking notes, and I'm gonna pray. Okay, so Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, this opportunity to be in your house on this beautiful sunny day. And God, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that this word would come to life and truly transform us. So God, we thank you uh, for everything you're about to do in this place, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a few weeks ago, my mom and dad offered to take Jane for a couple days, and Emily and I took them up on that as we never have two-on-one time with Abram, who's our youngest. He was born in 2020, so we got a little bit of two-on-one time with him in the hospital as no visitors could come. But other than, uh, than that, we haven't got to spend any time with him alone. So a few days before Jane went, Emily and I got this great idea to tell her that she was going to, or to Nana and Papa's house ahead of time so that she could have something to look forward to. And we figured she'd be excited as that's like her favorite place in the world. She likes it better than our house. I think it's like Nana and Papa's house, church, then our old house, then our new house. That's kind of like the order of her favorite places. But although she was excited at first, it, it quickly grew to, or to frustration. Her excitement turned to frustration as she could not understand why she couldn't go to Nana's right away. And she couldn't comprehend that going in a few days was exciting. All she could see is that she couldn't go right now, and that frustrated her. Okay, so Jane, she is super smart, but she still struggles to or to understand the concept that a few days from now is still really soon. Although Emily and I had an exciting message for her, her lack of understanding and ability to comprehend actually made it a frustrating message to her. In the same way, when Jesus came on the scene in the first century, his message should have been one of joy and excitement to everyone. It, it should have made people excited. He, he came to bring God's kingdom and renew the world. As my kids' storybook Bible said, he, he came to make all the sad things come untrue. That's what Jesus came to do. He, he came to renew the world. He came to set spiritual prisoners free and defeat the kingdom of darkness. It, it says this in John chapter 3, verse 16. Maybe you've heard of it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so this is the message that Jesus was bringing, and this should have been a message that anybody could accept. It was a message of joy and freedom. God loves the world. He's sending his own Son to purchase eternal life for every person who would receive him. However, for people who love the darkness and didn't want to submit to Jesus' authority, this message was not one of joy. It says this in verse 18, right after those two verses. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Well, because their works were evil, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Okay, so for people who love the darkness and refuse to submit to Jesus' lordship, his message is not one of joy, but it's one of judgment. And this negative response to Jesus' ministry wasn't just limited to when he was on earth. It's still happening today. Although we would think that everyone would want to accept the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf and obey him as he is the good God 
of the universe, most people reject him. Most people do not accept Jesus. And for those who do accept him into their lives, hear this, for those who do accept him into their lives, many keep him at arm's distance and don't actually let him lead their life. They want to have one foot in his kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of darkness so that they can still be the Lord of their lives. The question I want to look at today is why did you... Or why does Jesus' message create such a variety of different responses? Why doesn't everyone just receive Jesus? Why doesn't everyone say, yes, I'm in, you can be king? Why is that? Well, our passage this morning helps us answer that question. Although we've seen in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus' primary, primary mission was to teach and preach, this is actually the first time that we get a large chunk of teaching from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And one thing we notice right away is that Jesus chose to teach in parables, in fact, they seem to be his preferred way of teaching. He, he preferred to teach in the story form where he didn't actually tell them exactly what he meant. It says this in verse 2. It says, and he was teaching them many things in parables. He had, he had tons of parables. Some of the other gospels include more than Mark includes a few of them. But the point is, Jesus taught him many parables. And parables are stories that illustrate a reality. And specifically for Jesus, they are stories that illustrate a kingdom reality. Another thing to notice about our passage is that it has three parts to it. Okay, so there's the first part in verses 1 through 9 where Jesus gives the parable, simply gives the parable. Okay, and in verse 10 through 12, Jesus explains why or explains his use of parables in general. So just all parables, he explains why he uses them in verses 10 through 12. And then in verse 13 through 20, he explains this specific parable. Okay, so this is another example of something we saw last week where Mark will sandwich two parts of a story around another story to make a point. Okay, so the middle part, verse 10 through 12, is the key to understanding the parable itself and the explanation of the parable. Okay, so what I want to do is start by looking at verse 10 through 12. We'll go back to verse 1, but let's look at verse 10 through 12 first so we can kind of see how we should interpret the parable. Okay, it says this in verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parable so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and should be forgiven. Okay, so we see in verse 11 that those who can understand parables are given the secret of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. Okay, so if you can understand it, if you're interested and you seek more, you'll learn about the kingdom of God. If you've read this parable, or you've heard it taught on before, it's easy to assume that it's primarily about people's hearts, okay? And as the soil is about people's hearts, it, it, it's easy to think that that's primarily what the parable is about, but it's actually, it's actually more about the kingdom of God, okay? So it's partially about people's hearts and how they respond to God's kingdom, but it's primarily about God's kingdom. That's Jesus' main point. He's, he's telling us how God's kingdom comes about and how different people respond to his kingdom, an obvious point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable is that not everyone will receive his kingdom. Not everyone will receive his message and ministry. And this is what happens when Jesus teaches any parable. Some understand and receive them, or they kind of understand and they seek more understanding like we see here in verse 10 through 12. But then other people don't understand at all, and they're not really curious to try to figure out what it means, and they just completely reject them. Okay, so Jesus, he tells us in verse 12 that for many people, the Hear the parable, but they won't understand. Their hearts will be hardened further, and they won't turn and be forgiven. Okay, so the second thing we have to understand about parables 
is that they speak to two different audiences. Okay, so every parable, it speaks to two different audiences. There's the receptive audience of insiders, and then there's the non-receptive audience of outsiders. Some are drawn to Jesus through his parables, and they seek out understanding, and other people are actually pushed away from Jesus by his parables, and they don't seek understanding. Parables are received differently by people in the kingdom of light versus people in the kingdom of darkness. There's two things we need to notice if we're really going to catch this. The first is is what I kind of alluded to at the beginning. This parable comes right after Mark 3, verse 31 through 35. Remember that, right? 31 through 35, where it says, those who are in his family are those who do the kingdom of God or, or do God's will. His true family are those who do his will. He explained in that passage that there are two kingdoms. Again, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Parables, they kind of function as a way to make this dividing line more clear as some respond with repentance and others respond with resistance. And the second thing we need to notice if we're going to understand this two-audience idea is the fact that Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, which is an Old Testament book of judgment and hope all in one. God calls Isaiah to preach to Israel and he calls them to repent or else he's going to judge them and send them into exile. Even though Isaiah preaches, and I'm sure he was a great preacher, he preached the best message he could. He tried to have all the good illustrations, all the funny jokes. Israel did not respond well to his message. They actually rejected his message and they, and they were exiled for it. They were judged for it. At the same time though, at the same time that Isaiah is a book of judgment, it's also a book of hope. As Isaiah ends his book by pointing to a time after the exile when God will send a faithful king in the line of King David who will form a people who will love God with their whole hearts and be a light to the nation. And that person is Jesus, right? So the end of Isaiah points to Jesus. So it's a book of judgment and hope. It's a book to really two different audiences. There's the audience of the disobedient Israelites who will experience exile and judgment And then there's the faithful ones who will be gathered under the Messiah, Jesus, in God's kingdom. Depending on which audience you are, that book could be one of great hope or great judgment. By quoting from Isaiah, Jesus is hinting that he is the Messiah, and he's the fulfillment of the promises of that book. He does it all over Mark, over and over again. He's like, hey, I'm the Messiah. He's hinting. He doesn't actually say it, but he he hints to them over and over again. But he's also pointing out that people people are going to respond to his ministry in the same way that people responded to Isaiah's ministry. For those who have hard hearts and don't want to repent, they will harden their hearts even more so when they hear the parables. But for those who are open to God's word and repentance, they will be given the secrets of the kingdom of God. And we've seen this in the gospel of Mark so far. We've seen it play out. This parable kind of explains what's already been happening. There's two different groups of people, aren't there? There's, there's the people who are on the inside, the kingdom of light people, you know, Jesus' disciples, the people sitting around the table doing his will. And then there's the people on the outside, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people who don't respond well to Jesus, the people who are in the kingdom of darkness. There are two groups. It's important to know, though, that if you're an outsider, you're not bound to be an outsider forever. People can repent and change. And when Jesus used parables, he uses them as a sort of invitation to people to say, hey, stop resisting me and come join my family. It's a sort of invitation. And we saw this last week in Jesus' passage about his family. He says, hey, my real family are those who do my will. And my mother and my brothers that are sitting on the outside trying to tell me what to do, they aren't really in my family because they're not doing my will. 
But the beautiful thing is both his mother and his brother James both repented at some point and came into the kingdom of God. We see that at the end of the gospel, Mary is at Jesus' feet at the cross. We see that James became the leader of the Jerusalem church, right? So just because you resist one parable or you're resisting for a season doesn't mean you're bound to that forever. So uh, the last point about parables that I want you to get is Jesus' parables are invitations to join God's kingdom. Okay, so to review as you're writing that down, parables are about God's kingdom. They speak to two different audiences, insiders and outsiders, and they are an invitation to join God's kingdom. Okay, so why does Mark put this whole explanation about parables in the middle of the parable of the sower? Why does he put it right in the middle of this specific parable? Well, the key to that is actually in verse 13. He says this. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He He's saying that this parable helps you understand how all the other parables work. If you can't get this parable, you ain't going to get the other parables. Okay, so this parable is a description of all of Jesus' ministry, specifically the parables, or parables, but also his entire ministry. It explains why some people respond positively to Jesus and his parables and his teachings, and other people reject them. It explains why people naturally split into these two audiences when Jesus ministers or shares other parables. It, it reveals how the human heart responds to the proclamation of the gospel and either helps advance, the heart helps advance, or prevents the advancement of God's kingdom. It's really this holistic explanation of Jesus' ministry and how God's kingdom goes, or goes forward on the earth. Okay, so with that said, let's unpack the parable. Okay, now we're finally gonna look at the parable itself. Okay, so it's a picture of how God's kingdom advances. This is what the parable is. It's telling us how the kingdom goes forth. And in the basic summary of the parable, it's pretty easy to understand, is that Jesus and all subsequent preachers of the gospel, so if you've ever shared the love of Jesus or the gospel, you would be in this group. All these people who share the gospel are like the sower. Okay, they sow seeds. And, and then the word of God is the seed, or the gospel is the seed. That's what we're sharing. And then human hearts are, are like soil, Preachers are not to be discriminant towards certain kinds of people, okay? If you notice, this sower is just like throwing seed everywhere. He's like, I don't care if it's cement, which they didn't have cement, I don't think, but there's, I mean, maybe they did, I don't think so, but they just throw cement, or not cement, throw seeds over there, throwing them over there. He's not discriminant. He's just, or throwing seed wherever he can, whoever will seem to be listening. He's just throwing the seed everywhere. He's just sharing the word of God as he goes, and he lets God deal with the growth. And, and many hearts will not receive the word, but some will. And, and those who do receive the word are going to experience this exponential harvest over time. And the parable gives us some important truths about how God's kingdom advances that I want to unpack. So the first thing is the kingdom breaks into the world as the word or the gospel is preached when Jesus tells us that the sower sows the word, he uses the Greek word logos for word, which is a word that the early church would use for the gospel or the good news or the message and teachings of Jesus. And this is what logos primarily means here. It's actually also used in other places to refer to scripture. It's actually used in John 1 to refer to Jesus himself. Jesus is the word. That's a whole nother tangent. But when Jesus uses it here, he appears to be referring to his teachings that he's sharing. It's important to remember, again, that Jesus primarily came as a teacher and preacher. And Mark explained how Jesus began his ministry in this way in verse 14 and 15. This was back in the summer we talked about this. 
It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the euangelion or the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so although he loved to heal, Jesus loves to heal. He loves to cast out demons. Although he loved to do that and he still loves to do that, his primary focus is to proclaim the gospel of God. And we talked in depth about this and or this word for gospel in two different sermons back in the summer, so I'm not gonna go down that rabbit trail again, but for review, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion, and that means good news, okay? So the gospel is an announcement of good news, and the gospel is specifically the proclamation that the time has come for God to rescue us, okay? So that's what he was proclaiming. God is coming to rescue you. What Isaiah talked about at the end of his book, that's what's happening through my ministry. I have come to save you. That is the gospel. And Jesus' mission, according to this parable, was to get the seed of the gospel or the word into as many hearts as possible. He's just trying to get this seed out there. And ironically enough, he often got the word of the gospel into hearts through these parables, just as he's doing here. So over time, he knew that as he shared the gospel, his word would bear fruit, and there would be people who understood and responded, although there'll be many that don't. It's interesting that God chooses, I love this, so, so bear with me here. It, it, it's interesting to consider the fact that God chose to advance his kingdom through his word, through speaking, through his word. He surely could have just did widespread miracles and revealed to everyone, hey, I'm God. But Jesus chose to build his kingdom through the word. Why is that? Why did he choose to do that? Well, like a seed, the word can seem small. Like what I'm doing right now, this can seem small. Some of you maybe are tempted to fall asleep, and that's okay. I forgive you if so. But, uh, you know, it, just, it, it can seem small. It's just another sermon. It's just the word, whatever. Like, we're, like when you're reading the Bible, oh, it's a genealogy again, which actually I'm preaching on the genealogy next week. It'll be fun. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's just a genealogy. I'm going to pass out. Like, like the word can seem small, but it has power loaded in it, just like a seed does, right? A little seed seems small, but it has power inside of it. God's word is powerful. And we see this all throughout scripture. In Genesis chapter one, God creates the world how? Through the sound of his voice. He says, let there be light. And boom, it bursts into existence. The word of God can create something out of nothing. Think about that. God can just say a word and bring something out of nothing. Think about your life, those spaces that are dead, that, that seem hopeless. If God speaks, he can bring life out of nothing. And we see in 1 Peter that God's word doesn't only create, but it also recreates. It says this in verse 23. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable, well, there's, there's or the seed again, right? But of imperishable seed, through what? Through the living and abiding logos of God, through the word of God. The word of God has, has life-giving power. It can recreate, it can create, it can help you to become born again. Many people become born again through hearing God's word and something supernatural happens in their heart as they hear it. It can bring your dead heart to life. It can bring beauty out of the ashes. John 8, 31 through 32, I, I love this. It, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, or my logos, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Mm, come on. If the devil came to lie to us, Jesus came to bring truth. The, the devil's been lying to us since Genesis chapter 3 when he told Eve, he said, hey, that tree, it's not really going to lead to death. You can eat from that fruit. It'll be all good. You're just going to see things like God sees them. He, he lied to Eve, but Jesus came as primarily a preacher of truth, saying the truth will set you free. Come on. That's what we need in our generation is truth. The truth will set people free. We need to give people opportunity to hear the word of God, to hear God's truth, because it has the power to set spiritual prisoners free. It was Jesus' primary method of bringing his kingdom to earth and setting people free from the lies of the evil one. Like a seed, it can seem like a small thing, but it has life-giving qualities. As it sinks deep into your heart, it transforms and renews and recreates. It builds people into strong men and women of God as they meditate on God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's like the word does surgery on our hearts. It cuts in there. It's like, like it's doing work on us. And this is why we preach the word of God at Scent Church. We spend about 45 minutes every Sunday, me talking, and you're like, I don't know if I want to listen, but thank you for being here. But, but, but the point is, we preach the word of God. We spend time in it. We believe in it. I don't want to just give you half-truths. I want to give you the word of God. I labor over this every week. It, it can stress me out a little bit at times because I'm laboring over it because I want you to get the word into you because I know that it has life-giving qualities. It can bring beauty from ashes. It can bring transformation. It can set you free. The word of God has power. The Apostle Paul said the word of God cannot be chained. As he was in prison, he said that. The word of God cannot be chained. The word of God is living and active. It is powerful. It can bring life and transformation. Okay, with that said, we see in our passage that the speaking of God's word, though, does not guarantee positive results. Just as his parables speak to two different audiences, God's word, it elicits several different responses, and he points out four, so there's three bad ones. It looks like we got a 25% success rate, which makes me feel pretty good, but uh, we'll see. So the first response here is the response of those whose hearts are like soil along the path, okay? So, and as you're reading this, I want to encourage you, we're going to go through each of these. I want to encourage you, think about what is my heart like? How do I usually receive the word? Not just the first time when you're saved, but like every time you hear the word, which heart are you like, okay? So it says in verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay, so these are people who technically hear the word, but don't really hear it at all, right? It's going in their ear, but it's going in, or it's going out the other, right? Satan, the accuser, is the ruler of their heart, and he steals the word from them before they can even process it. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, it says this, it says, and even if our gospel, or euangelion, is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Again, those who are on the outside. In their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so those who don't know Jesus are blinded by Satan. Do you know that you could be blind and you don't even realize it? They're blinded by Satan and they're unable to see the gospel until God wakes their heart up. God has to do something in, in their heart. God must do work if they're going to be able to see. Okay, so the first thing, the first response is the, the gospel can be stolen from a hard heart. There are certain hearts that won't even consider the gospel 
or let it sink into their heart at all. I think of people who I've tried sharing the gospel with in the past and they kind of just brush it off and just want to change the subject. Or maybe some have even gotten defensive when I try to share it with them. Ultimately, I don't walk out of those interactions unless I'm being a jerk. If I'm being a jerk, that's on me, okay? But, and I hope I've never been a jerk in that interaction. But like when I walk out, I don't go, oh, wow, I really stink at this. No, I think, hey, they're kind of like the, or the seed on the path. And I just pray that something supernatural would happen in their hearts before, or so that they can receive the truth of the gospel. I just pray that God would open their eyes. So if you're sharing the gospel and you're getting a lot of negative responses, one, it looks like Jesus had a 25% success rate. And I actually think it was worse than that if you look at who was with him at the end, right? So I encourage you with that. But also just realize that you can't control people's hearts. Sometimes people's hearts are just hard. And they're not open to receiving it. But the second response is the response of those whose hearts, or whose hearts are like the soil on the rocky ground. Okay, so I don't know if there's a lot of us. If you're here today, I don't know if there's a lot of us who are like the first one, but this one, this could be you. Okay, so I really want you to pay attention, and same for me. I, I want to consider this. Okay, so it says verse 16 and 17. It says, and these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. So you're at church, you're like, yeah, that was a good word. I'm excited. Woohoo. And when... <laughs> <laughs> and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So you walk outside, you're like, nothing can stop me now. You stub your toe, you're like, I'm out. I'm done with this. I'm playing. I don't think anybody does that. But, but these are people who let the gospel hit them for sure. They, or they let it hit them, and they aren't opposed to it. And Jesus even says they receive it with joy. Like, they're the excited people. Like, yes, I'm excited about this. But the problem is they have no root. There's no root. There's no depth to the gospel's work in their heart. Because of this, as soon as things start to get difficult, they fall away. Okay, so the, the second response would be the gospel can be scorched in a flaky heart. I didn't know how else to say that. So flaky heart. So these are hearts that are just flaky. They're not resolved to endure. They're kind of excited about whatever comes along the pipe. They're like, I'm going to jump in that. That sounds great. Woo, they're doing Jesus for a few months, and they're doing something else the next few months. They're just kind of jumping from thing to thing. Or, or maybe they're even you know, in the church, and, and they claim to be a Christian, but every time they get challenged by the Word of God, they're excited for like two days, and then they go back to their old ways, right? It's this idea that, that it's scorched because they have a flaky heart. So yeah, again, people might get excited for a bit, but their feelings fade. And, and when I think about this, I think about a girl that I baptized in Chi Alpha several years ago. And she was so excited to be following Jesus. She was just so pumped. And I even had her share her testimony at Chi Alpha. She was like, and it was powerful when she shared her testimony. Like, it was like captives getting set free. It was in a powerful, powerful Tuesday night. But the problem was she had a boyfriend who didn't want to receive the gospel, and he pushed back hard against her faith. And eventually, I received a random message. So she's like literally sharing her testimony one week. A few weeks later, I get a message on Facebook that essentially says, I don't want this to be awkward, but I'm not coming to Chi Alpha anymore. And, and she doesn't follow Jesus today. That was several years ago. So I believe she had a heart that was like uh, the, seed, or the soil on the rocky ground. The third response is the response of those who hearts, or whose hearts are like the soil among the thorns, which is closely related to the last one. These are pretty similar. It says this in verse 18 and 19. It says, And others are sown among the thorns, and there are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Okay, so these are people who kind of want Jesus, but they also want other things. These are the people who got, or got one foot in one kingdom, one foot in the other, or at least they're trying to do that. They, they don't make Jesus the number one thing in their lives. They try to live in these two kingdoms because they're distracted by other pursuits, okay? So the third response is the gospel can be choked 
in a distracted heart. So people with distracted hearts, they probably go to church every Sunday. They, they probably try to be religious. But if you drill down in their hearts, Jesus is not their God. It's actually something else. You know, maybe it's money or the desire for fame and achievement or the sexuality or their career or even their families could be their true God. And they don't let Jesus be Lord in their lives. The cares of this world choke out what God wants to do. Okay, so Jesus makes very clear. He, he's saying, my ministry is not going to be received by all. And most won't receive it at all, or they will only temporarily receive it and then fall away. The good news is that not everyone will reject his word. Not everyone will be like those in Isaiah who could see but not perceive and hear but not understand. There are people, this is the encouraging word this morning, there are people who will hear the gospel and they will let it take root in their hearts. These are people who, who actually receive it. The first three types of hearing are superficial, but there's a type of hearing that is attentive and purposeful. And there are those who truly obey Jesus' command in verse three to listen. And these are the ones who are given the secrets of the kingdom of God. In verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. For those who do have the heart to hear the word and accept it, they will bear fruit in a miraculous way as a 100-fold, again, is like unheard of or for a harvest. It's unheard of. It's, it's miraculous. I think about through the years of preaching the word faithfully at Chi Alpha and now at Scent Church, there's just people who, who you come in, maybe some of you here, like, like I, I just preach the word, I don't really do a whole lot, but, but God just does something in your heart and you can't even explain it, it's just taken off. Like, like God just plants something in you and you begin to grow like crazy. It's, it's because this, this parable is true. I don't know if I've read something that I relate to more than this parable in the gospels in terms of the parables. It, it's just crazy how much I see this play out in ministry. So, yeah, the last way to respond or the last possible response is, is the gospel is going to bear fruit and the kingdom will break in as people hear the word and receive it. Okay, so Jesus is making the point that discipleship happens in the hearts of those who steward the words of Jesus. They are those who aren't just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, as James, Jesus' brother, talks about in his letter. They're or these are those who sit around the table with Jesus and do his will like we read about last week. So how do we become one of these people? That's the question. How do we become one of those people? Because I would hope that all of us want to be these kinds of people. Well, we have to let the word go deep into us. The word of God, it, again, it sets captives free. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Paul refers to it in Ephesians 6 as the sword of the spirit. If we are to be people who bear exponential fruit for the kingdom, we must let the word of God create and release the life of God inside of us. And we have to be the kinds of people who take the gospel and truly let it do work on our hearts. We have to reflect on it, process it, sit under it, and apply it to our lives. This isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just a Sunday thing, but this is a daily thing. I think about the Psalm, actually Psalm 1, the very first one. It says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Or I think about, blessed is the man who doesn't scroll Facebook all day, or watch Netflix all day, or play video games all day. But it, his delight, sorry, I didn't mean to shoot at you like that, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and I'm shooting at myself too, and on his law, he meditates day and night, day and night. Think about having the Bible on your bed, you're like, 
ooh, I love the Bible. I'm just reading it all the time. I wake up in the middle of the night. Yes, Bible time. Right? This idea you're meditating on it. Day and night you delight in it. You're like, this is good stuff. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. You're ready to read the word of God. In verse three, it says, he is like a tree, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves don't wither. He doesn't fall away. And all that he does, he prospers. This is the call of the parable, to be people who listen intently to God's word, who read God's word, to be a people who immerse ourselves in truth, a people who let the gospel deal with us every single day, a people who meditate on God's law day and night. As we do this, we're going to bear fruit, and we're going to help other people bear fruit, and the harvest will be 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. We're going to get to participate in Jesus' great harvest project as we share the word with other people, too. It's beautiful. Okay, the main idea this morning is this, if you're still taking notes. The kingdom of God bursts forth as the gospel is shared faithfully and attentively. The kingdom of God, it bursts forth. It, it bursts onto the scene as the gospel is preached and people receive it. It's beautiful. It's nothing we do on our own strength. We can't force hearts to change, but it's just the word of God going out and doing what it does. Every morning, I try to start my day by reading the Bible, and specifically, I read from a, a daily Bible reading plan. It's actually on our website. If you go to Get Involved, click on that tab, go down to Spend Time with Jesus, kind of unpacks the whole way I do this. There's, there's a guide there, so just jump in on that. But, but I read passages from the Old and New Testament every day. And then I read from the Gospels every day too. So what ends up happening is I get through the whole Bible every year at least once and then the Gospels twice because I wanna have Jesus' words speaking to me every day. And my, again, my plan's on the website, but I love reading the Bible in this way because I don't have to think of what I'm gonna read. Instead, I just follow along on the plan. I wake up, well, that's the next one today, so I'm just gonna do that. And one thing I love about this plan is there's days where I'm going through something very, very specific and I'll journal about it before I read the word. So I typically journal first about how I'm doing. And then I'll read the word and it'll speak exactly to what I journal. So it's like I'm talking to God through my journal and then God talks back to me through his word. It's like freaky. It's, it's happened in key moments of my life. I could share dozens with you, but I wanna share one. So a few months ago, it was a random Tuesday morning. And sometimes I just wake up anxious about things. I don't know if you can relate with that, but I was just struggling being a bit anxious and, and specifically to be transparent, you know, we're having a third baby in April, praise God for that, but we weren't necessarily like planning for it, okay? So, uh, so one of the things that I've been a little stressed about is just our family's finances, thinking through that, because you just have to adjust as you have more children, and that's normal, but, but the anxiety wasn't really rational, but I don't think anxiety hardly ever is, right? It's not typically super rational, and I, I journaled about some of those stresses and worries, and then Matthew 6 happened to be my Bible or my passage for the day, and I read that twice a year, so it just happened to fall on that day. And in that passage, or sure enough, Jesus talks about money and anxiety. And it says this in verse 19. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so I, at that point, Jesus is like rebuking me. I'm like, oh, Man, okay, convicted. Okay, thank you, Lord. But then he goes on and he says this in verse 25. He says, and therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing. And look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, I love this, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Man, as I read these words of Jesus, it sunk into my heart deep and it replaced that anxiety with peace. It was supernatural. And since then, that word's been bearing fruit. It's not that I've been perfect since then, but it's been bearing fruit in my life as I continue to go back to it and remember how on that Tuesday morning, Jesus spoke very specifically to me and said, hey, I got you as you head into this next season of life. Again, I could literally tell you dozens of these stories. I most often encounter Jesus through this time of Bible reading. It's just, it's amazing what God's word can do. And this is why we need to read the word of God every day because God wants to speak to you and he has his words here. It's not like you have to wait till like an audible voice. No, it's here. Go to his word and let him speak to you every single day. He doesn't want you to feel like an orphan who doesn't have any guidance, doesn't know what to do. He wants to speak to you. So if you've been kind of falling off of your Bible reading or maybe you never have, this is your day to start again because God wants to speak to you. God wants to talk to you every single day. With all that in mind, I just want to ask you a simple question here. Who do you relate to most in our parable this morning? You know, maybe you relate with the, with the soil that's along the path. Like when you hear the gospel of truth, you kind of harden your heart and resist. Or maybe when, you know, someone starts preaching, you just start looking at fantasy football or thinking about where you're going to eat, you know, whatever. You just don't really listen to the word of God. You don't read the word of God. Or maybe you relate with the soil on the rocks. When you hear the word of God, it, it makes you joyful. You're excited about it, but it doesn't last. You have a tendency to go back on your commitments and you have a tendency to not let it do its work on your heart. Or maybe you're like the soil among the thorns. You like Jesus, you wanna be religious, you wanna get out of hell for sure, but you let the cares of this world choke out what God's trying to do. If you relate with any of these three soils, I wanna encourage you today that change is possible. The word of God can and will work in your heart if you submit yourself to it. God's word is what birthed this world into existence. Jesus himself was referred to as the logos of God, the word of God. God brings hearts to life through the imperishable seed of his word. His word again is sharper than any two-edged sword. His word is the sword of the spirit. His word says captives free. The key is that you have to stop shutting your ears and heart and you have to open yourself up to what God wants to do and let his word truly sink in. It starts with praying and asking God, say, God, give me a tender heart. God, help me to receive your word. God, help me to let your word do its thing in my life. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a daily commitment each day to let the King of Kings speak into your life, to let Jesus speak into your life. It's a daily commitment of being a person who hears the word of God and does the will of God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you relate with the receptive heart. You're like, I think I have the good soul. You're someone who has received the word of God. You're bearing fruit. If that's you, I just sense that you may be discouraged today at the lack of fruit in your life, like you have some fruit, but not as much fruit as you want. And maybe you're still struggling with certain sins or you're struggling to 
help other people follow Jesus. I wanna encourage you that the word of God works. Again, when the apostle Paul was in prison in, in 2 Timothy, he said, the word of God cannot be chained. God's word has power. And you may be tempted this morning to quit or to, or to give up, but Jesus is calling you to keep on hearing the word, to keep on letting the word work in you, keep on doing what the word says. If you do that over and over and over, you will bear fruit. And not only that, but I believe that Jesus will use you in his great harvest project. He will call you to go out and plant seeds of the word wherever you can. And it won't be up to you to make the seeds grow, but as you share, you'll see these seeds grow into plants all around you. You'll see it happen. As you do this, you'll see the kingdom of God take up root in the lives of your friends and in the life of your community, in the life of your own heart. And we can be a people who commit ourselves to hearing the word with eagerness and letting it go down deep in us. It's gonna change everything. It will change our own lives, it will change our friends' lives, it will change our city, and it will change the world. We must never forget that the devil's primary strategy of putting people into bondage is to lie to them. In Jesus, he sets people free with truth. Let's be a people who commit ourselves to reading the truth, listening eagerly to the preaching of truth, and sharing the truth with other people. There's tons of competition out there today for what the truth is. But we know that truth is found in God's word. Let's be a people who commit ourselves to the truth and let it do its thing. All right, so the practice this week, if you're gonna do a practice, I want you to do this. If you have not started reading the Bible, maybe you already have your own plan, that's great, just keep doing that. But if you haven't started, I wanna encourage you to read a chapter of the Gospels each day this week, each day. So maybe start in Matthew, it's the first uh, New Testament Gospel, or, or the first Gospel. So start with, yeah, Matthew one, and read that on Monday. Matthew 2 on Tuesday and go through it and just see what it begins to do in your life. Okay, so let's stand to our feet all across this room. We're gonna pray. All right, so you can bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. I just wanna, wanna give you two ways to respond this morning. It's between you and the Lord. The first way is this. If you're here and you recognize that in the past, maybe your heart has been like the, the heart that's in the bad soils. And this morning, God's word is doing something to you and you want to, to truly step into his kingdom. You truly want to bear fruit. So what I'm asking you to do, I'm, I'm saying if you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you once did and you walked away, I wanna give you a chance to commit yourself to Jesus or, or to recommit yourself to Jesus. Don't wait another day. Don't be like the soil among the thorns or the rocks or on the path, but instead be someone who hears the word of God and lets it sink deep into your heart. So if you do not know Jesus, or you once did and walked away, today is your day. And how I want you to put your faith in Christ, how I want you to signal that is just raising your hand to heaven. Okay, so I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, slip up your hand saying, Jesus, I wanna be in your family. Jesus, I want to be your son or your daughter. And the beautiful thing is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's not a question about it. It says that you will be saved, okay? So nothing you gotta do other than putting your trust in Jesus. So I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, slip up your hand. One, two, three, all across the room. Let's see those hands. All right, let's see those hands. Is there anybody else? Is there anyone else who wants to put their faith in Jesus this morning? All right, you put your hands out. I'm gonna pray for you quick. And you pray in your heart. All right, Jesus, this morning we come to you. And for those who wanna put their trust in you for the first time, or recommit their life to you, I pray that you would do a supernatural work. God, that you would cause hearts to be born again all across this room, that the seed would do its thing 
and change hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and you died on the cross for our sins and you rose from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. Our second way to respond is simple. If you wanna be a person of truth, a person of the word, can you put your hands up to heaven right now boldly and say, Jesus, I wanna be a person of truth. I wanna be someone who lets the seed sink deep. So let's pray. Jesus, right now, I pray that this church, that everybody in this room would be people who are people of truth. The devil lies, but Jesus, you're the one who sets captives free through truth. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be a people of truth, the people who lean into the word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that we'd be a people who wield the sword of the spirit. God, I pray that we'd be a people who let the seed do its thing in our hearts. God, help us to be a people of truth in this generation. God, we love you and we thank you for the fruit that's gonna be born through this. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. All right, let's worship Jesus with everything we have.